Well, right now we're gonna jump into our sermon for today. And we're in our series that we've titled Headlines, Good News in Times of Uncertainty. We're still in this uncertain time. There's a whole lot of questions. If you were to ask me, I'd have to ask them to somebody else who would probably have to answer them to somebody else. It's uncertain, but God has headlines for us, doesn't he, in his book. So far along this journey, he's told us that he's for us. Romans 8 says, God is for us. In Joshua 1 verse 9, he says, be strong, be courageous, be brave, be aware, right? He's told us all the things that we are called to be, right? Last week, he called us to trust in him with all our heart, to not lean on our own understanding, to acknowledge him and know him in all of our ways. And here's the promise. He will direct our paths. Well, I wanna introduce a new promise to us here today that I wanna tell you about through a quick story. I'm gonna tell you the headline through a quick story that involves my wife, Nina, who is an amazing mother of our three boys and just a, an, an awesome wife. And when we first got connected and we met and I came back from college and we started to hang out a little bit, I just said, you know what? I, I need to start pursuing this relationship with this girl. And I just said, you know, how, how can I bless her and serve her? And I said, what, what do you wanna do? And she said, I wanna watch a movie. And I said, okay, what movie do you wanna watch? And she said, I wanna watch the movie Tangled. And I was like, oh, great, of course, right? Uh, an animated princess movie, but hey, sometimes you gotta, you gotta put others, other needs before your own. Can I get an amen, right? And so we, we watched the movie Tangled and I got to know about the story of Rapunzel in a really cool, it's actually a really cool movie and uh, you can go ahead and check that out. But it's about Rapunzel and her evil mom, Gothel, who's this egomaniac, narcissistic mother who tries to keep her daughter pinned up in this castle because she knows if Rapunzel gets out, she might expose her wickedness and then the mom would lose all her special powers and stuff like that. But in the beginning, right, the, not to give the whole thing away, the mother traps Rapunzel into the castle and then she kind of comes around her in this very conniving and deceiving way and she says, Rapunzel, mother knows best, right? She begins to speak that over her and some of y'all are gonna be so upset with me because now you're gonna have the mother knows best song in your head all day. I'm sorry. The title and the headline for my sermon today is Mother Knows Best. Mother Knows Best, right? And we're not gonna look at Gothel for the example. Come on, we're gonna look at the Bible for the example and we're gonna look specifically at Jesus's mother, Mary. There's something about Mary where we find her in John chapter two, teaching us mother knows best. So if you're ready, say ready. If you're hungry, say let's eat. If you're around your mom, say happy Mother's Day. Let's go ahead and eat from God's word. Mom, if you're watching this right now, I know you are. I love my mom. Happy Mother's Day to you again. I got, I got some luxury to just say that to you. Love you, mom, Jody. And uh, let's go ahead and lean into the word and pray for it. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name, Bless this word. Let's eat from it now. Holy Spirit, help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. John chapter two. If you're there, say I'm there. Should, you should be there. It's on the screen. <laughs> Here we go. We're gonna read verses one through 12. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. 
When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Verse eight, and he said to them, now, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. Here's what verse 10 says. Said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. When people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Mother knows best. Let's go ahead and look at the first three verses, and we're going to pull a principle out. Verses one through three say it like this. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. How cool is that? Jesus' mom Mary got invited to this big, awesome ceremonial wedding, right? And she says, hey, I'm down for the party. I'm coming to the wedding. I want to celebrate. But she is not there alone. Verse 2 says that Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. We don't necessarily know whose wedding it was, but I think there's something to learn from Jesus. He's there. Right? It it shows us that Jesus is down for the celebration. I love a Jesus, right? At this moment in time, Jesus isn't walking on water. He's not raising the dead. He's not healing the blind. Here's what he he's chilling at the party. I love that Jesus is at the wedding. I picture a Jesus doing the electric slide right now. Come on, somebody. Right? I see that this Jesus right here, he's hanging out, he's enjoying, he's celebrating. The covenant of marriage on display right here. His mom's there and they're having a good time. Well, now verse three presents the problem. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Let me give you the first point of this mother knows best sermon. The first point is this, bring your needs to Jesus. I love this right here. The text just teaches us that when, when she identifies that the wine ran out, right, as you can see it in the verse, we'll highlight it for you. It says, there, there, there's no more wine. Jesus says, okay. Jesus' mom says, I know what to do right now. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna bring the need to Jesus. Let me give you a little bit more context about why this would have been a big deal. When it comes to a wedding celebration, especially in this ancient day, Around 2,000 years ago, the wedding celebrations were much different than our weddings here today. I mean, weddings are a big deal, and they should be. I totally get it. I've been able to contribute, be a part of, officiate many in my day. I'm grateful for those times, whether they're big or small. But in this day, they were always big, right? The wedding ceremony is oftentimes considered in this context the grand moment of anybody's life. 
the wedding ceremony would oftentimes last a full entire week. R. Kent Hughes tells us in his commentary, he says, instead of a honeymoon, they held an open house for a week. They were considered to be king and queen and actually wore crowns and dressed in bridal robes and their word was considered to be law. In lives that often contained much poverty and difficulty, this was considered the supreme occasion. This was considered the most grand event in life. Now check this out. They're all there at the wedding. They're here. They're celebrating. They're enjoying this wedding. We don't know exactly what day of the wedding. This was the third day that they went up, but who knows how long into the wedding they are, and they've ran out of wine. Well, what's the big deal about wine? Well, in this context, wine was oftentimes seen as a symbol of joy, gladness, and life. David writes in the Psalms, in Psalm 104, he says, wine gladdens the heart of man. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10, it's a principle from the Proverbs, right? It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits, and your wine and your will be bursting. Your vats will be bursting with wine. How about God in the, in the Proverbs ties a principle regarding wine to obedience, right? And it wasn't there and seen as something to get drunk. It was there as, and seen as something that would enhance the time. It would be a blessing for you. So kind of like me the other day, right? When I was at home and my wife said, hey, let's, let's order pizza tonight. And we ordered some bomb pizza. For me, I'm just gonna let you into my life. I prefer to drink soda when I have pizza. I know it's unhealthy. Don't at me, all right? I, I get it. And I said, you know what? I'm going all out tonight. We got a pizza. I'm gonna get some Coke, right? For me, that's all out. But right, in this culture, they didn't have Coke. Or, or maybe, maybe Cane's sweet tea. Can I get an amen from somebody? What's your favorite drink? Put it in the comments right now. If you don't like Cane's sweet tea, we need to pray for you ASAP, all right? So they didn't have sweet tea. They didn't have Coke. They didn't have all these different luxurious flavored drinks. They didn't have lemonade. Here's what they had. They had wine. So it's like, hey, either you can have some water that we brought from this well, or you can have the wine that we worked hard crushing these grapes for all, all this time, all month long, we've been trying to store up enough wine to serve everybody for an entire week. Wine was a big deal. It, it was something that, that God said right here in the text was a good thing throughout the scriptures. But at this point, they're out. This would have been considered a very embarrassing moment for the bride and the bridegroom. It would have been difficult to enjoy this feast. This could have been a damper on the entire feast. I don't know about you, but maybe you've been to a wedding, right? Like keep in mind the context, right? Some weddings, if they go seven hours, you're like, bruh, this is a long wedding. What about seven days? <laughs> That's the whole entire week. And to, to, to be able to go that entire week without the thing that, that made the time special would have been very challenging for the guests right? Think about seven hours. I don't know if you've ever been to a wedding, right? And you celebrated the wedding and then they moved you into like the, the reception room and you're all there and maybe the bridal party's taking pictures and they're having a great time, but you're there. What are you thinking? When's the food coming out? Like I'm, I can't just keep eating these little cheese bites and crackers. Like they're good, no doubt, but I, I, I want some real stuff. I want some good food, right? I want to take part and I want to enjoy this time together. 
right? It, it's that type of feeling. The wine's out. And the guests are saying, so we're about to go all week and there's, there's no special food or drink for us. And so Jesus' mom, I love this right here. Jesus' mom says, I got it. I know what's best. Here's what I'm, we're going to do. We're going to bring the need to Jesus. If there's a principle you catch from Jesus' mom here, is that when you have a issue, when you have a need, when you have a, a, something that you just out of your control, right? You, you can't control it. It's out of your hands, right? They didn't have enough money. They didn't have enough resources to go produce the wine at this point, right? The amount of wine that they needed would have taken another week or month to try to produce and a whole lot of money and a whole lot of time. Jesus' mom, she has that intuition. Come on, y'all know that motherly intuition? Does your, did your mom, my mom has it. My wife Nina, she, she has it. Like she could just step in a room and just know, sums off. Right, you could just, she just has that sixth sense. Like, is that motherly intuition where they just know? Jesus' mom is like, hold up, hold up, sums off. We're missing a component and I know what's best. Bring the need to Jesus. Let me give you a reality statement. Maybe it'll be helpful for you. Here's a reality statement. Write it down if you're taking notes or take a picture of your screen. Here it is. When you bring your needs to Jesus, you position yourself for a miracle. When you, when you say, okay, I got a very real need. I can't produce this need on my own. They can't produce this need on their own. The bride and the bridegroom can't produce this need on their own. The wedding planner and the master of the ceremony can't produce this. Here's what we gotta do. We gotta bring it to Jesus. When you bring your need to Jesus, you position yourself for a miracle. When, when you don't bring your need to Jesus, you position yourself for your own limited power, and it's not enough. I love what James says. James, the brother of Jesus, he was likely there that day, right? Here's what he tells us in his book. He says it like this in James 4, 2. You do not have because you do not ask God. In other words, if you would have asked, maybe you would have received. I love how Mary says, look, we're gonna ask Jesus and we're gonna put the ball in his court when you ask God, you position him to do a miracle on your behalf. I think about our, our testimony here at Walk Church. We have tons of these stories and we're continuing to live in it right now. We're asking God for miracles right now. And I wanna encourage you to ask with us. But I remember before we launched our church about four and a half years ago, we were in a position where we were like, okay, we're getting ready to go public with our worship services. We got a whole bunch of needs, right? We, we need to... We need to buy a stage. We need to get chairs. We need to get kids ministry resources. We need to get lights. We need to get mics. We need to get, we need to get a pulpit, right? We, we need to get all types of stuff. And then we said, okay, well, if we get all that stuff, where are we gonna put it? Man, we need a trailer. We need a trailer and it's gotta be big. And we started to work up this budget and before we knew it, that budget was long and high. And weighty. So we began to think about it, we began to pray about it. And not too long, it was about a month or two before our launch service, I got a phone call from a pastor named Brian in Kentucky, one of our partner churches. And he called me and he said, Hey, Pastor Hyden, I got some good news for you. I said, Give me some good news. I need all the good news I could take. He goes, There's a church that we've helped support, and unfortunately, 
They're not going to end up making it in Kentucky. There's, for whatever reason, they just didn't end up making it. But here's the good news. We're going to take their trailer that's filled with all the different resources for their church, and we're just going to send it all to you. Do you want it? Can you take it? Do you need it? Do you receive it? I said, I put the phone out. I was like, what? Right? When you bring your need to Jesus, you position yourself for a miracle. That same trailer we use today, they, they brought it to us. We sent some of our team members, Spencer and Jason, they, they met one of those team members from Kentucky. They unhitched it from their truck, hitched it to our truck, brought it back to Vegas. We wrapped it with our big Walk Church logo. We still use it till this day. When you bring your need to Jesus, you position yourself for a miracle. I remember when we opened it. It was like Lucky Charms fell out of that mug, right? We were like, wow, look at there. We need that. We need that. We can use that. Oh, let's open this cart. We need that, right? God, God does those. That's just one example. I'm sure you have examples too. But maybe the application from this story, you can take a page out of Mary's book and say, you know what? Here's what I need to do. I need to bring the need to Jesus. Let's keep on reading. Here's what happens next. Jesus says to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now that is an interesting response, amen? Like Jesus looks at his mom and says, woman, wow, maybe this is a tip on what not to do uh, to, to your mother, but, but you're not Jesus, all right? Jesus is 100% God and 100% man, and I think what he's doing here Many commentators differ on why Jesus made this response, but majority of them say, here's what Jesus is doing here. He's making a very clear point that nobody's gonna order him around. Not even his amazing mother, right? Jesus is saying, look, let's never get it twisted that I am the alpha and omega. Jesus is saying, look, let, let's be very clear here, right? It's not my time yet. You're asking me to do something, right? You're cutting off my electric slide, and he says, woman, it's not my hour yet. He, in fact, he says, what does this have to do with me? Why is it my problem, right? They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't prepare right. What does this have to do with me? Jesus says, I'm the God man. It, it, the theological term is the hypostatic union. I'll just teach you a, a seminary term. Here's what it means. Hypostatic union is the combination of divinity and human natures in a single person, Christ when the divine meets the human, you find Jesus. And Jesus right here says, look, nobody is going to come at me like that, not even Jesus's earthly mom. If Jesus is going to listen to anybody, it's going to be his heavenly father. But what happens next, and some commentators have even ventured off to say, Jesus may have been joking with his mom. Like, come on, like, what does that have to do with me? Because Mary's response is amazing. Let's see how Mary responds to her son, Jesus, who says, woman, what does that have to do with me? It's not my hour yet. Here's why he says it's not my hour. Because all throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus, when he says it's not my hour, what he's meaning is it's not my time to die on the cross yet. It's not my time to resurrect from the grave yet. It's not my time to pay for the sin of the world yet, right? Maybe he knew something that they didn't, that if Jesus were to do something uh, substantial here in a miraculous big way, Jesus saying, hey, look, it's not my time yet. Or maybe Jesus was looking at the wedding that he was at as a, um, as a picture of what he one day would do, which is also something we're gonna talk about in here in a second. 
But either way, Mary's response is glorious. Look at Mary's response with me. His mother, verse five, said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. I love this right here. Just catch this. Mary's response is trust. Mary's response is not to be offended, not to be defensive, not to be sensitive, not to just leave the wedding and go and cry and run away. Mary doesn't leave and go complain and slander about what Jesus said to her. Here's what Mary does. It's the second point. Trust Jesus with your needs. If the first point is bring your needs to Jesus, the second point is after you bring them to Jesus, trust them with it, right? So bring your needs to Jesus, 100%. But secondly, then let it be up to him. Trust him with it. Mary doesn't complain or get salty. She just says, look, my God, my son, my savior, he has the compassion and the capacity to meet the need of the people. Mary says, look, hey, look, it's not a problem because I have so much trust in this savior named Jesus that he's gonna make the right decision regardless. You gotta get to that level of trust that when you bring your need to Jesus, you trust his response because it's always gonna be good. Right, here's the definition of trust. The same one as last week, trust the Lord with all your heart. Let me remind you, trust is simply this, right? It's, it's a confident expectation. To, to trust Jesus is to say, I'm confident in my expectation of who I am. I have this firm belief that he's able to get it done. Right? Mary's not tripping. She's not shaking. She's not wavering. In fact, she's talking to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, they ran out of wine. Jesus says, woman, what does that have to do with me? It's not my hour yet. She turns right to the servants and says, do whatever he says. I love that right there. Here's what the CEV translation says. Let me give it to you on the screen. The CEV says, Mary then said to the servants, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Here's what I want to minister to you today. Mother knows best. Here's what the mother of Jesus said. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. The greatest advice, if you didn't catch anything from this sermon, but you heard this, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Right, if you didn't catch a single word from the worship, a single word from the sermon, if you said, hey, I didn't get anything out of that, but here's what I did remember. Do whatever Jesus told you to do. You're winning. You got it. You got the message. What's the message of Mother's Day? Mary will tell you. Just do whatever Jesus tells you to do. And for other people, it might look different. Jesus might tell you, you need to go make a relationship right. You need to pick up your phone, text somebody, call somebody. For others, it's going to look like, hey, you need to stop living in sin. For others, you need to start being more generous. Hey, what you need to do is you need to fill these jars up with water. For you, you need to actually put your phone down, stop scrolling, and listen. For you, you might need to start raising your hands during worship. For you, you might need to start loving your wife and honoring and serving your wife. For you, you might need to start trusting your husband and stop criticizing everything he does. For others of you, you might have to just just listen and say, God, what do you want me to do? What, what is, how does this sermon apply to me? Maybe you're, a, maybe you're a youth and you're watching this right now. Just do what Jesus tells you to do. The recipe for a successful life and eternity, just do, Mary said it so well, just do what Jesus is telling you to do. 
That, that, that's really it. If we can do that, we're going to win. The, the NIV study Bible says it like this. It says, Mary trusts Jesus. She does. She is perfectly content to leave the matter in his hands. You might have something that's weighty, big, deep, and scary. Be perfectly content to leave it in his hands. Let Jesus take those weights off your back and carry them with his hands that got holes in them to cover your need. Right? Bring your need to Jesus and trust your need to Jesus. You can trust him. You can trust him. Here's what happens next. Let's keep on reading. It says, now there were six, everybody say six, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. They filled them up to the brim, and he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. I wanna highlight this for a second because it's really important. Jesus says, okay, check this out. Even though I just kind of, in a way, stiff-armed my mom low-key, like, when what does that have to do with me? Jesus still does it. <laughs> I think it was the moment where Jesus said, there's so much faith, there's so much trust, there's a miracle that's about to happen. I'm gonna make a point. Nobody talks to me like that, nobody demands, but I'm still gonna honor my mom. I'm still gonna perform a miracle right now. He looks at the servants, and here's what he says. He says, servants, there's six stone water jars there. Notice what it says, it's highlighted for Jewish rites of purification. Oh my gosh, this is good. This is good right here. Come on, help me, I'm preaching right. There's six stone water jars. What are the water jars for? For the Jewish rites of purification. Now you might, when you read this, you might think of little water jars. These are not little water jars. In fact, you cannot find a little water jar that can hold 20 to 30 gallons of water. I mean, 20 to 30 gallons, that's a lot of water, amen? I've, I looked it up. I found a picture that if you were to go to Israel and you were to go to Cana, they have a Greek Orthodox church that has some of these water jars that you can still find. If you were to stand next to that picture, you would be almost as big as that water jar. These Jewish purification water jars weren't, weren't, weren't made for drinking. They were made for getting into and washing. Jesus says this, See those big old purification water jars? The same water jars that Jewish people cleanse themselves of their filth and their, their sin as symbolic to trying to get right with God? Here's what I wanna do. Go find those and I want you to fill those things up with water. And I love that the servants don't say, how are we gonna do that? Or why are we gonna do that? Or that doesn't calculate to my understanding. Remember this, don't lean on your own understanding. Just trust God and do it. There's so much power and value in saying, you know what, I'm not gonna do it my way. I'm gonna do it his way. Let's go ahead and do it. They filled these jars up with water and watch what happens next. Oh my goodness, it's so good. It says, they took it and they brought it to the master of the feast. Verse nine, when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, boom, there's a miracle, right? All of a sudden this water, he says, let me get a scoop of this water by faith, right? Let me go ahead and grab some of this water. He tastes it. The master, the wedding planner that failed, he didn't get enough. He says, this wine is the best wine I've ever tasted. Jesus did a miracle in front of their eyes. I love what John Piper says. Piper says it like this. He says, these were not used for drinking. They were used for bathing, for purifying, 
So it seems like Jesus wants to say that this is what my hour will be like. Piper continues. He says, I will take the purification rituals of Israel and replace them with the decisively new way of purification, namely my blood. He goes on. The glory of Jesus is that he alone once and for all made purification for sins. You don't turn to ritual, you turn to Jesus. Jesus said, look, it's not my time yet because it's not my time to die, but I'll give you a sign of what my time will be like. Right, when, G- when it's Jesus's time, when he's nailed to the tree and to the cross and his blood is shed, his blood is shed for our forgiveness and purification. In other words, in a different book that the same gospel writer John wrote, 1 John 1, 7, he says it like this. He says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, there it is, his son purifies us from all sin. See, in the old covenant, you, have to do, you used to have to do a whole lot, right? To purify yourself from your sin, you'd have to get inside a jar. You have to wash yourself. You'd have to go to the temple and bring a sacrifice, and it had to be a perfect blemish, unblemished sacrifice to try to be cleansed from your sin. And then you'd have to do it again the next year, and then do it again and do it again. Well, Jesus comes as the perfect spotless lamb from heaven, the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, right? He puts on skin to relate to us. He never sins. He lives the perfect and sinless life. And then he says, I'm the final sacrifice. He dies for our sins, sheds his blood for all of our wrongdoings, past, present, and future, so that he can purify us through his blood. We no longer need purification jars, rituals, or anything like that. Here's what we need. We need Jesus. We need to turn to Jesus, and you can do that here today, and his blood is sufficient to save and cleanse and purify you as well. That's what this miracle is all about. That's what this Mother's Day is all about, is that you would grow closer in your relationship with Jesus. That leads me to the third and final point. We We are almost done. Right? As we keep reading, it says that the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, verse 10. And when the people have drunk freely, the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now, right? Here's what he's talking about. He's saying most times when people have kind of drank all the wine, they get to a place where they don't really know the difference anymore. So if they, 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 they wait till the end, they bring in all the cheap stuff, right? The, the 99 cent bottle, right? They're like, I don't really know the difference at this point anyway, right? But he says this. Whoa, he goes up to the bridegroom who failed. This bridegroom is an utter failure. He's a lot like me and you. Didn't prepare enough. Didn't didn't handle things like he should have. Missed the mark, missed the target like we always do. And he says, bridegroom, you're the real MVP. You saved the best wine until now. We all thought we were out. This is the bridegroom's moment to say, what? Who did the miracle? Let me give him the glory. He missed it here. The bridegroom didn't do anything. I hope he didn't say, oh yeah, that's right, I did, because he'd have been lying. This was all Jesus. Doesn't Jesus do stuff for us that even ends up making us look good? Right, Jesus will do miracles in your life to make it look like you are growing in your relationship with Jesus. And that's a great moment that you're growing as a leader, that you're growing as a husband, that you're growing as a dad. These are PTL moments. Yes, praise the Lord. He, he did that. Jesus did that. 
So the bridegroom misses it. Right? And then the, the, the story pretty much ends here. The miracle kind of concludes. And we find ourselves in verse 11 and 12. And this leads us to the last point. Let's read 11 and 12 together too. Here it is. This is the first of his signs. So the first sign miracle Jesus does is at the wedding. Beautiful picture of the gospel. It says, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. When Jesus manifested his glory, people believed. His own disciples believed in him. Did the, did the, the, did the disciples have saving faith yet? I'm not sure, but after this they did. After this they said, wow, something's different about this Jesus. He just did an impossible miracle and made it possible. That's our God. The disciples got it. Judas didn't, but the rest did. Right here, continuing on. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. They stayed there for a few days. The final point of the sermon is to recognize that your greatest need is a relationship with Jesus. Right? Number one, bring your need to Jesus. Number two, trust your need to Jesus. And number three, recognize, recognize, recognize. Y'all better recognize that your greatest need is to have a relationship with Jesus. It's not more stuff. The wine eventually, this type of wine, right? Physical drink and stuff and resources will run out. But the true wine, Jesus's blood, Jesus's salvation, Jesus's living water never runs out. That what you really need is a satisfying, everlasting relationship with Jesus. That's why I love verse 12, right? Verse 12 says they left the wedding it says that Jesus' mom went with him and his brothers went with him and they stayed there for a few days. Here's what you need to do. Don't leave Mother's Day and leave Jesus in the sermon. Right? Go beyond the sermon and have a relationship with Jesus. The greatest need that you have, and oh, it's a real need. The greatest need is a relationship with Christ. It's not a religion. It's not a checkbox. It's not do this and don't do that and give me more of this and Work really hard to get up the ladder to God. It's not that. It's Jesus came down the ladder to save us, to have a relationship with us. And I love how Jesus and the disciples and his brothers and his family and his sisters, they say, okay, we're leaving Cana and let's go walk together. Jesus' mother knew best. She knew to leave with Jesus. I think too often we leave Jesus on Sunday. I say, Jesus, that was great seeing you. Hey, I'm gonna catch you next Sunday, right? Jesus is not in quarantine. Jesus is not staying at home. Jesus wants to have a very real relationship with you, right? right? Jesus doesn't actually abide by social distancing. Jesus wants to get close to you. Jesus wants to get into your heart. He wants to get into your mind. He wants to get into your feelings. He wants to get into your life. But you gotta recognize you need him first. Final quote, and then we're gonna close this sermon. A quote from the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon. I love when Spurgeon writes on moments like this because it's so profound. Just stay with me here. You can follow along the screen. Spurgeon in one of his sermons says, our Lord's miracles were worked in each case to meet a need. The wine had failed at the wedding feast and our Lord had come in at the time of the need when, when, the, when the bridegroom was fearful of being made ashamed. He continues. He said, that need was a great blessing. 
If there had been sufficient wine for the feast, Jesus would not have worked this miracle. And they would have not had tasted the purest and best of wine. It's a blessed need that makes room for Jesus to come in with miracles of love. He continues, it's good to run short that we may be driven to the Lord by our necessity, for he will more than supply it, won't he? If we have no need, Christ will not come to us. But if we are in dire necessity, his hands will stretch out to us, my friend. If our needs stand before us like huge empty water pots, or if our souls are as full of grief as those same pots were filled with water up to the brim, Jesus can, by his sweet will, turn all the water into wine. The sighing into singing. We should be glad to be weak. Let me say it again. We should be glad to be weak. Come on, rewind. We should be glad to be weak so the power of God may rest on us. Hear hear that word from Spurgeon who struggled with much depression, who struggled with much spiritual battles throughout his journey. He says, I need to be weak because it's when I'm weak, I need more of Jesus. And when I bring my need to Jesus, I position myself for a miracle. And that's true for you as well. Pastor Judd Wilhite, friend of mine here, pastor of Central Christian Church, right down the street. I love how he says it. He says, the greatest miracle is a relationship with the God behind the miracle. The greatest miracle is this, that you wouldn't grow a relationship with the miracle, you'd grow a relationship with the one who made the miracle, and that's Jesus himself. I wanna pray for you right now to experience this miracle and to grow deeper with him today on this Mother's Day. And after I pray, I want our team to just sing one more song of blessing over you and all the moms Jesus blessed these people and he wants to bless your life as well. So I'm gonna pray and then our team's gonna lead us. Father, right now, whoever's watching this, I pray that they would receive you because they need you. And God, I pray for everybody who's already, already received you to continue to bring their needs to you. Oh, Jesus, meet us right where we're at. Save people, change people, grow people, Heal people, heal our land of racism, heal our land of sin. God, heal our pride, rebuke it, smash and crush idols of sin and shame and guilt and doubt and bring us into a real and right relationship with the miracle doer, Jesus himself. God, I pray you'd do it. Bless all the mothers. And if somebody right now needs to receive Jesus, I pray right now they would pray and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, I believe in you. Do a miracle in my life. Change my water into wine. Cleanse me with your blood. Save me from my sins. Purify all my guilt, shame, and sin forevermore. Fill me with your Holy Spirit the same way you filled those jars. I want to enter into a marriage relationship with you, Jesus, for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.